Hey, good morning, church. I hope you enjoyed that video. If you're part of Biltmore Church, one of the things we talk about all the time is we want to be a sending church and send out and send out. And whether that be uh, missionaries, whether that be uh, starting new campuses, or whether that be doing church plants like you just saw, that's one of our values. That's one of the things that uh, we learn. We look at the Lord Jesus, and he came down, and he he went out for other people's sake, and we want to do the same thing. We want to send out and send out and go and take the gospel out there. And and, uh, Jeremy and Victoria obviously been a huge part uh, of our church, and what I want to encourage you to do is not just uh, encourage them and pray for them and maybe even email them, but I also want you to pray and ask yourself, you know, could it be God's calling me out of my comfort zone? One of the things we're praying for that Myrtle Beach uh, church plant is uh, called just the 2550. We're praying for 25 people from uh, Biltmore Church uh, to basically pack up their stuff, move to Myrtle Beach, and then for 50 people to be there in that Myrtle Beach area uh, waiting for them. So so if you're in that Myrtle Beach, Conway area, uh, hey, pray about that. And if you are here in the beautiful mountains of Western North Carolina, if you can't live in the mountains, then the second best place would be the beach and the very best place would be uh, directly in the middle of God's will. So be praying about that. Could God actually be asking, we've already had families do that. You know what? We're going to be moving there. I think we've already, we're are about almost halfway to that 25 saying, we're going we're gonna to move to Myrtle Beach. We're a very mobile society. A lot of us can do that, but at least pray about it. If you want some more information, uh, you can see here on the screen some of the ways that you can uh, you can get that. First of all, there's an interest meeting coming up if you're local in the area, February 10th at 6.30, uh, or you can always go to builtmorechurch.com slash coastway and uh, get that information. Or if you want to just ask some questions and ask Jeremy, then just go to jwoods at builtmorechurch.com and ask him, uh, you know, hey, what specifically either do you need or maybe some questions about what does that even look like to, you know, pack up and move and help start a church plant. Uh, you'll be blessed. Just ask the questions, be open. And um, I want to do a special uh, shout out, especially we've got folks all over that are watching, especially with that uh, winter storm that came through last night over here in the Southeast and the Mid-Atlantic, all these areas. But a couple of folks, uh, Shelly from Franklin, man, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Karen Wright from Bakersville, North Carolina. Uh, Cindy from Michigan, you probably laugh at how upset we get about our snow, uh, but thanks for tuning in from Michigan. And then Dean, we don't like you from Miami, Florida. We are all jealous you are sitting there with Sunny and 70, but we will uh, touch base with you around July when we are Sunny and 70 here. But seriously, Dean, thanks so much for tuning in uh, to, the, uh, uh, to the, the service this morning. So uh, here's, we, here's where we are. We're actually going to see a little bit of the wood story in the text today. And if you haven't been with us these last few weeks, uh, we have started off, which is one of the just the most unifying things we've ever done as a church, and that is we are in, as Biltmore Church, we're in what's called the year of the Bible. And the year of the Bible is many, many different things, but one of those things is not just progressing through the Bible collectively on Sundays and in our children's area and students and all over the campuses, but it is also it is also tons of free resources. You can go to the website, just backslash Bible, and you can see everything from all different kinds of reading plans. We want to get in God's Word to listening apps to... Uh, you know, parent, uh, you know, Jesus Storybook Bible to be able to kind of disciple your kids to all different kinds of things. So take advantage of that. It's all free. And also keep the emails and texts coming. They're so encouraging to hear how, you know what, you're just getting into God's word. Uh, I know several of them this week, one of my husband's like, I've never 
I've never spent this much time in the word with my wife. We are just, it's God's drawing us closer to him, drawing us closer together. Great stories of uh, dads, moms sitting there again, reading the Jesus storybook Bible with little scooter and just awesome stories. So keep, keep, keep putting those emails in there. They are amazingly uh, encouraging to hear. All right. So today what we're going to be doing is uh, we're going to be talking about, believe it or not, your most valuable possession uh, that you have, the most valuable thing that you have. It's in your hands uh, right now. And you should care for this more than anything else that you uh, care about. This has the ability to bring great blessing and great reward to your life. And on the other hand, uh, it also can bring uh, lasting regret. And so what we're talking about today and what I'm talking about right there is actually the power of your yes. The power of your yes. This tiny little word is tied to your will. It's tied to your choices. It's tied to your walk uh, with the Lord. Yes. And it's similar companion, another tiny little word, uh, no. When you look at those together, they are the building blocks of your Sunday. They're the building blocks of your Monday, of your February, of your 2021. They are the building blocks of your life. Your life, my life is the result of our yeses and our nos. And I didn't know much about coding until this week, but I read a bunch about coding and maybe you don't either, or maybe you don't even have any interest in learning about coding, but coding is basically what makes all of our tech actually work. Your phone, the texts that you get, the emails that you get, it's all based on code. And code is made up of all these bits and bytes. And between the code and then made up of the bits and the bytes, it is all of it. Again, all of that technology, all of it is built on two numbers, the number one and the number zero. So all the stuff transmitted over all of your devices, the whole digital world comes down to a one or a zero, an on or an off. The same way, the script of my life, the script of your life comes down to a one or a zero, an on or an off, a yes or a no. And we're gonna see this today through one of the most transformational figures in all of human civilization, a guy named Abraham. And whether you're not, even if you're not a Christ follower, you need to know about this guy. Three major world religions count him as the father of their faith, represents over half of the world's population. In our story today, his name is actually Abram, but what he shows us today is the power of a yes. And so when we look at this, this guy is super prominent in the Bible. He shows up here in Genesis 11 and 12 until his death in Genesis 25. Afterwards, his son Isaac, his grandson Jacob, they become dominant characters even after his death. His people, the nation of Israel, are the dominant theme in the Old Testament, even going into the New Testament. Abraham's name appears more than 300 times in all four Gospels, 
Jesus uses it repeatedly. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the Hall of Fame of Faith, most of the men and women in that chapter, they get one verse, maybe two. Moses, the guy who wrote Genesis, he gets six verses. Abraham gets 12. Now, he's not a perfect man. He's not a perfect man. He has got some serious character flaws, as you'll see if you're doing the reading. He's got some serious shortcomings, but he is commended for the example of faith or what we're just calling the power of your yes. So just four verses today. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse one, it says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, God would later change his name to Abraham. Abram means father or daddy. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then our last verse, so Abram went. As the Lord had told him and Lot went with him, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, let me give you a little context. On the outset and in the context, this does not seem like a guy who is a good candidate to be the father of a nation that would eventually give us Jesus the Messiah and bless the whole world. For example, he's at this point, he's 75 years old. His wife, Sarah, is somewhere in her 60s and they are barren, they are childless, they have no children at all. And so if you're 75 and 60 and you're talking about having children, you're kind of thinking, you know what? That ship has sailed. This is not really going to happen for us. And in addition, they come from a land, they're, they're pagans, they're idolaters. They come from a land and a family that worships the moon God. And so you put all of that stuff together it is an encouragement to us because even right at the start, the context tells us, listen, you're never too old. You're not too messed up. You're not too far gone for God to use you in a very significant way to bless you, to bless the people around you. And what was required of Abram thousands of years ago for God to pour blessing into his life and then use his life as a blessing for other people is very similar to what he requires of us. And so the question then is, how do we experience the power of our yes? One verse in Hebrews 11, I want to read to you that kind of gives us the backstory of what's going on here. Hebrews 11, eight, just listen to it. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place. He's talking about this verse right here. Obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. All right, so when we talk about the power of your yes, when we talk about how yes can basically make you or break you, what we're really talking about when we talk about the power of yes is what the Bible calls faith. And I'm going to put a definition of faith out there. I've looked at tons of them this week. So I'm going to give you a definition of faith, and then we're going to basically break it down into two main components today. Because when we talk about faith, sometimes there's some misunderstanding. We're certainly not talking about that 
terrible doctrine of faith in faith. If I just have enough faith, then God is obligated to do something. For, that's not what we're talking about at all. We're talking about biblical faith that has to do with the object of your faith. It's not about faith in a plan, and it's not about faith in prosperity. It's about faith in a person. That's what we're talking about when we talk about biblical faith. But here's the definition of, I encourage you to write down. Faith is actively saying yes to the person of God. Actively, actively. Action is tied to your faith. It's actively saying yes to the person of God, but God knows that can be difficult at times and God is compassionate toward the struggle of actually jumping off and going somewhere. And so here's what he says. While holding on to the promises of God. So before we kind of unpack this text, let me put a blanket umbrella statement over you. Every good thing, every good thing God wants to give you and to pour into your life and into your family's life comes through the vehicle, comes through the funnel of faith. Big picture, big picture understanding here. The glory of God is the foundational you talk about what's the Bible about. The glory of God is the foundational truth of the Bible. It is. We are made by him and for him, and we exist for him. It's not about us. It's about God. We exist for God. That's the foundational truth of the Bible. But the central theme of the Bible is the redemptive story of Jesus, how he came and he lived the life we were supposed to live and then died as a substitute in our place. The prophets foretell this. The gospels explain it. Acts talk about how that message spread. The epistles explain how you and I apply it. The book of Revelation then says, you know what? That redeemer that this whole book is about is actually going to come again. But the message, the message of the Bible is that the benefits, the blessings of that redeemer in life are accessed by, through the vehicle of biblical faith. No, one way to think about it would be this, kind of put that in a nutshell. When you think about a car, the car body, the car body is the glory of God. That is what it's, that's what it's about. That's what you see when you open the Bible. The engine of the Bible is the redemptive story of Jesus uh, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. But the fuel, the fuel of the Bible, the fuel of the Christian's life is faith. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. One of the things that I learned about 10 years ago is when it comes to the Christian life, faith is, faith in many ways is the Christian life. It's not like other parts of the Christian life. It's not like joy or self-control that are important, but they're segments, they're characteristics, they're characteristics we want to have. That's not what faith is, all right? I'm not trying to add a little faith like I'm adding some joy and adding some self-control. It's the whole thing. It has everything to do with your marriage and our money and our ministries and all of that. If you don't believe that, just take your little phone app and just put in the word faith and just look at all the times it's used just in the gospels alone. Just faith after faith after faith and he got to do this and he could not do miracles because of their lack of faith. Jesus summed it up when he said this, according to your faith, let it be to you. And here's a sobering thought. When you look at that verse, the idea is that we are where we are in our lives, where we are going to be. What we are experiencing now, the joy and the victory or the sadness and the defeat, it all comes down to and it's all about our faith. So let's figure out what this is and let's certainly figure out what it is not. So let's take the definition and put it in two parts. First one is this. Faith is actively saying yes 
to the person of God. Like going back to the story, he says, go from your country, go from your father's house. Well, that's not a super big deal today, correct? I mean, I left my father's house, so to speak, when I was, I had just turned 18 and I was gone, right? And that, that wasn't any big deal, but back then, to leave your father's house was to leave all safety, all security. There was no really law to speak of. There was no 911. Safety back then was in numbers. It was in your tribe. It was in your clan. And so when he says, leave your father's house, it was to leave your security, leave your loved ones, leave what you know. And he says, basically go and then I'll tell you when to stop. He didn't even say leave and go over here. He says, leave and I will tell you when you were supposed to stop. I mean, just imagine the conversation that God and Abraham are having. God says to Abraham, go. And Abraham says, uh, where should I go? And he's like, I'll show you. God says to Abraham, I'll give you a son. And he's like, how? I'm 75. He says, like, I'll take care of this. Later on in the story, later on in his life, God will say to Abraham, go to the top of a mountain and sacrifice your son. And Abraham was like, why would I do that? Why would I do that? I will show you later. Just climb. And there's an, old, there's an old theologian named John Calvin, and he summarized this whole interaction between God and Abraham saying, just close your eyes and take my hand. Just close your eyes and take my hand. And it took me back to like, when you, I remember when I was small, we were at a lake, my dad's, I was scared, we were like jumping off a rock. In my mind, it was like 100 feet. In reality, it was probably 10 feet. But he's like, hey, just close your eyes, take my hand, we'll jump off together. And that's what God is saying to Abraham. Listen, you're going to go somewhere. I'll show you eventually, but right now you've just got to, you just got to trust me. And loved one, one of the things this shows us is there's a world of difference between just simple obedience and what we're going to call surrender. Obedience is about an action that you take. And those are good. That's good. Obedience is good. Obedience is blessed. But surrender is different. Surrender is not about an act. It's about a posture. It's about my yes is on the table, God, and now you can ask the question. Now you can give me direction. First time I heard this was years ago, believe it or not, was, was when we were actually talking to Biltmore Church some 13 years ago, and my wife had never spent any time at all in the Southeast. It had been Oklahoma and Texas her entire life. Me, I was born in Atlanta, had lived in Virginia, so I, I kind of had a homing beacon anyway. And I was like, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be awesome. And she, but she eventually said, you know what? I'm not there yet. And this was early in the process. I kept putting in that James Taylor, Carolina on my mind, trying to do some kind of osmosis to her. But I remember early on, she's like, I'm not there yet. But listen, my yes is on the table. My yes is on the table. I'm grateful for marrying a gospel fox who loves Jesus and understands what surrender is. And she was saying, you know what? I am surrendered. So many excuses that Abraham could have made. Could have said, you know what, God? I mean, it's not a good time right now. My, my family's not super stable right now. Uh, have you seen the stock market? It's a little bit volatile. Uh, do you know what I am on the Enneagram? I don't really take these kind of risks at all. And even more so, he could have easily said, listen, the rest of my family doesn't even think we should do this. I hadn't noticed this until just maybe a year or two ago. But if you look at chapter 11, the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12, what happens is his whole family, Abraham's dad, the whole clan goes halfway to the promised land, halfway to Canaan, goes halfway there. They leave Ur, they go halfway there, and then they stop and they settle down. 
And it's as God is saying, listen, I'm calling you to obey me, even if your family doesn't, even if these other people don't. I want you to go all the way, not halfway with me. They obeyed halfway. They partially obeyed. I want you to be surrendered. I want you to go all the way. You imagine if he didn't do that, he would have missed out in being a big part of God's plan for the ages. And what God's probably telling a lot of us is, listen, just close your eyes and take my hand. Just close your eyes, take my hand, uh, and, and, and trust me on this. If I can be blunt, a lot of Christians are actually, because we struggle by walking with faith, when the Bible's clear, listen, we walk by faith, not by sight. And the reason a lot of Christians, a lot of reason a lot of my church members, the reason a lot of you folks that go to church all the time, that you're actually deep down when your head hits the pillow, you're slightly bored with the Christian life. I mean, you've done the Bible studies, you've gone to the conferences, you've got the worship album, you've got the playlist on your phone, you've got all of that stuff. But bottom line, you, have, you look at your life and there's very little part of it that you're actually having to trust God with. A few months ago, I made the example of the Madagascar movies. So let me kind of return there. The Madagascar movies, they're super funny. It's all about wild, you know, anim, wild animals that really weren't trained to live in the wild and then they end up in Madagascar. But if you remember the backstory, the backstory is kind of sad because you had these wild animals that had this nature in them to act wild and they were, they were, in, they were in zoos. I mean, they looked wild, they looked pretty awesome. When the lion would roar, the kids were like, oh, this is awesome. But the zebra, if you remember, the zebra is sitting there and he's looking at all this stuff and we're like zebra and hippo and lion and something deep inside him says, you know what, I was made for something different than this. I was made for something more than just sitting here entertaining people because everybody was taking care of them. All the trainers, they'd bring them food. All the trainers, they'd come in, do the massage. All the trainers, they would take care of them. And even in spite of having all that stuff, they're like, there's got to be something more out there for me, which led them to then jump off and head to Madagascar. A lot of Christians are the same way. You're like, there's got to be something more than just going to church and occasionally writing a check and then trying to be a good person. There's got to be something more. And there is. It's called walking by faith. It's called taking God's hand, closing your eyes and saying, let's go. You might have felt maybe just a little dose of it. Maybe you went on a mission trip. Maybe you went over Ecuador and you're like, you, you know, you kind of were bold with your faith. And you're like, this is it. Maybe you kind of sensed that little bit when you were, even during this pandemic, you've been ministering to your neighbors and kind of sharing your faith a little bit and it made you prayed up, it made you nervous, but you took a step out there and you're like, man, that was exhilarating. That's exactly what the Christian life is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be domesticated. And it, it, it needs to be active. It's active, active. If you look at Hebrews 11, Noah built, Abraham left, Jacob blessed, Joseph instructed, Moses, Moses chose, Joshua fought. Faith is synonymous with action, or to put it in a blunter way, apart from action, there really is no faith, no matter how much we insist that there is. If we don't put action as what we say we believe, it's not really faith to begin with. And actually, an interesting fact, there actually is no, there is no noun in Hebrew for faith. It's, ver it's a verb. Why? Because what the text is saying is it's all about, all right, I say I believe, but then I'm going to actually do, do what I say I believe. Now, this downloads into life in a hundred different ways. 
So we're going to take a pass at it now. We'll take a pass at it in a few minutes, adding the second part of the definition. But here's the part, actively, actively. I'm going to do something actively. I'm actively going to say yes to the person of God. So let me paint four or five different scenarios. And sometimes you're on the receiving end and sometimes you are on on the, uh, the giving end. So here's what it is. How do you actually actively say yes to God? Some guy comes to you in your connect group or your D group. And it's like, you know what? I think I'm just, you know, I'm just kind of done with my marriage. I'm just going to leave my wife. I think, I think God's got a better plan for me. He's got somebody better for me. He just wants me to be happy. I can't be happy with my wife. So you know what? I just don't love her anymore. I'm going to find someone new. Okay. Faith actively saying yes to God responds to that guy. He's like, listen, that's a very bad plan. You stood before God and family and friends and you made a covenant with that woman. You will reap what you sow. Don't do that. That's a bad plan. Love her like Christ loved the church. Actively serve her. That's faith. Or you're a 42-year-old single and you're like, man, time is running out and I want to be a husband and I want to be a, I want to be a wife or I want to be a mother. I want to be a father. And the temptation is, the temptation is somebody comes up on your dating app and it's nothing to do at all about Christianity. Maybe even says, you know what? Not a real big believer in all the religion stuff. But everything's like, God's not fulfilling his end. I got to fulfill my end. And you need somebody to talk some faith into you, speak some faith into you. Listen, that guy is not a believer. She is not a believer. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked, all right? God's still got a plan, all right? Trust him, trust him. Take him by the hand, close your eyes, and trust him. We could just go on and on. Somebody hurts you. You're like, I, somebody challenged you. You hear a sermon about forgiveness. I'm not gonna forgive. You don't know what they did to me. They hurt me, and I wanna hurt them, and I'm gonna take it out on them. And somebody needs to speak some love and some faith into you. It's like, listen, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, all right? The Bible says, do not let a root of bitterness spring up among you and defile many. Listen, listen, it's poisoning the rest of the relationships that you are trying to actually make good. And so have faith and trust that God's going to take care of that. We can go on and on and on. Probably one of the biggest areas that God's people do not trust him with here in the States, at least, is just with the money. All right, what happens? Things get tight and we start to try to shrink our faith. Well, maybe we just need to kind of cancel our compassion, child, and kind of save that, save a little bit of that and cut out over here. And God's like, listen, don't do that. Honor me with the first of all of your produce. And guess what? Man, your vats will overflow with new wine. One's faith and one is doubt. Uh, ministry. It was even awesome to see that, that baptism video. The baptism video, that was a mom like, I want my son, I want my son to do what's right. What ended up happening? Her son's obedience led to faith with her. It's like, man, I need to get right with God. I need to make that right. And she said, I got to get baptized too. So um, like, this is hard, Bruce. This makes me nervous. It's a big decision. And God is compassionate toward that. And so the second part is really important as well. And here's what it is. While holding on to the promises that God has made. I mean, look at verse three. He's like, you know what? Here's a promise. Verse two says, I, look at all the promises. It's like a threefold promise in verse two and three. I will make you a great nation. That's the nation of Israel. I will make your name great. Remember, Abraham is the father of three, or is claimed to be the father of three major faiths. And I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. 
This is an explicit promise of the Messiah that through Abraham's descendants, God would send a Messiah, Jesus, that would be a blessing to all the people of the earth. So here's something you've got to hold on to when you're talking about walking by faith. Is God is compassionate toward the struggle of taking his hand and closing your eyes and trusting him. And so what he does is to help us with this journey of faith, he gives us promises. He gives us promises to hold on to. And you just sort of treasure in your heart. Listen, God didn't have to give us promises. God is under no obligation to give us promises. But God is a promiser and gave us promises. And it is his nature to fulfill his promises every single time. I mean, think about that. God is a promiser. Here's a few of them. We've already seen Genesis chapter 3. You know what, Eve? Your offspring will crush the serpent. Genesis 9. I will never destroy the earth again by a flood. Here in Genesis 12, your dis- and, and then again in verse four, chapter 14 and 15, your descendants will be, you can't even count all your descendants, Abraham. Yeah, but I'm 75 and I don't have a kid yet. Trust me, close your eyes, take my hand and trust me. You just go on in the book of Exodus, I'll deliver you from the slavery in Egypt. Joshua 1, victory to Joshua over the Canaanites. And the Bible is overflowing, promise after promise after promise. Old Testament, there's a Messiah coming. New Testament, he actually does come and says, I'm coming back again. So it's promise after promise after promise God makes for us to hold on to. And so here's what you have to understand. What you hold on to while you wait is a promise from God. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome if you get the promise and the same day the promise is actually fulfilled? I mean, the Christian life would actually be fairly easy if it's like promise on Tuesday, promise fulfilled on Wednesday. I mean, that'd be awesome. It also wouldn't require any faith at all. And so what happens is God gives you a promise here, the promise is fulfilled here, and the space in between is called walking by faith. And so you hold on to that promise while you wait for the promise to actually be fulfilled. So even in chapter 12 here, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Chapter 15, your descendants are going to be like the stars of the sky. I mean, it would be so awesome if all of a sudden the next day Sarah goes in there and is like, look, I'm pregnant. That doesn't happen. As a matter of fact, it is years and years from Genesis 12 until she is actually pregnant. She actually is like, you know what? I'm going to have a baby. And so what you do is when you have a promise, a promise from God is like a, it's like a receipt when you order something. You order something online and they send you an email that says, here's your receipt. Here's your tracking number. Here's what you hold on to until the product arrives at your front door. It's like a confirmation number when you make reservations at a hotel or something. It's like, hey, here's your confirmation number. We're emailing it to you. Sometimes they even offer, hey, if here it is, if you just want to write it down. A promise from God is like a receipt. A promise from God is like a confirmation number. It's what you hold on to while you walk by faith, waiting for the promise to actually be fulfilled. And that's why we talk about get in the Bible, get in the Bible, get in the Bible. And when you're in the Bible, you want to ask some questions, all right? We talk about ask questions. We've got that HEAR model, H-E-A-R. We talk about that. It's, if you do one of those reading plans, you'll see it right there just to remind you, okay? What highlights, you know, what examine, all this kind of stuff. 
But part of it is just asking questions. You know, is there a sin for me to confess? Is there an example for me to follow? Is there a command for me to obey? Is there a warning that I need to be kind of aware of? But one of the things you also want to do when you read the Bible is ask, is there a promise for me to claim? Is there a promise in my reading for me to hold on to while I wait for the promise to be fulfilled? While I wait for that prayer to be answered, the promise is what helps you to walk by faith. Well, like, I, I got to see how that works. I mean, let, let me just end. I'll, I'll, there are, somebody said there's actually 3,000 promises in the Bible. 3,000. Now, I know a couple of y'all are probably going to go online and go, you know what? Well, some of those promises aren't for us, and you would be correct. Okay, you would be correct. Some of them are, but the vast majority of them, actually the Bible says all of the promises are God are yes and amen in Jesus. So in some way, in some form, in Jesus, they're all answered. So what does that look like? Here's an example, here's five or six examples. Your marriage is not where it was. Your marriage is more woe, then it is, wow. You're like, man, it's not supposed to be like this. How do I turn the corner with my family? What's something I can hold on to while I wait for God to bring revival into my home? There's tons of examples, but Psalm 128 might be one you would jot down. It says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. What will be the result of that? Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. So you know a great prayer to pray, and especially the men out there, a great prayer to pray. He's like, you know what, God, where am I? Because it says, blessed are those that actually walk in the way of the Lord. So God, where am I not walking in the way of the Lord? Where do I need to adjust what I'm doing and how I'm acting so that my children will see and come up like olive shoots, that my wife will be flourishing? What happens? What do I need to do? I mean, there's a great example in the video. I mean, the mom is praying for the son, and then she obeys God, and it blesses the son. And so what do you need to do, Dad? What do you need to do, Mom? How do you need to adjust? Those things end up trickling down. Those things end up blessing your family. Like, I'm confused. I don't know if I need to take the job in Topeka or Scranton or Asheville or where. Proverbs 3, 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge means to bring him to bear on the situation. God, we want you to do, we want you to do what you can do. We want to do what you want us to do. You can even go to James chapter 1, verse 5. It says, to any who ask of wisdom, God gives generously and without reproach. God, you told us you would give us wisdom. You would give us direction. And we're asking right now, our yes is on the table. What do you want us to do? Uh, you got ministry opportunities. You got a discipleship opportunity. One of the pastors comes up and says, hey, would you disciple uh, a middle school connect group? Would you teach this class? Would you do whatever? Would you lead a Bible study at Advent or Borg Warner or wherever? You're like, well, I'm not sure I'm up to it. I'm not sure what I'm You need to understand, number one, you are blessed to be a blessing. And number two, everybody's called to make disciples. Everybody. It doesn't look the same for all of us, but everybody's called to make a disciple. But you're like, I'm not sure I should do this. I'm not sure I can do this. Maybe your uh, promise is 2 Chronicles 16, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro 
throughout the whole earth to strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You're like, God, I'm giving you my heart. It's yours. I want to live for the glory of God and the good of others. I want to be blessed to be a blessing. That's your promise. Or maybe go over to John 15. It says this, you did not choose me, but I chose that you would go and bring forth fruit. And by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Listen, God chose you to be a blessing to people, whether that be at your work or your neighborhood or your school. The next question is, how do I do that? Some of you are like, you don't know my story. You don't know my junk. You don't know my guilt. You don't know my shame. Romans 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. But yeah, but I feel so condemned. You're not, all right? If you're in Christ, you're not condemned. Jesus took the condemnation for you. And by faith, you've got to say, you know what? I believe what God said even more than my own feelings, what my own conscience is saying. If I'm in Christ, i got to understand, Jesus died on the tree for me. My condemnation was put on him, and his righteousness was then put on me. And then you walk in that. You walk in faith. Again, having trouble trusting him with money, honor the Lord with your wealth from the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Well, can you be more specific? Just honor the Lord. Honor means to put weight. Do you put weight on what the Lord says about your finances? You're like, I'm hurt. I'm bitter. I want to take vengeance. Romans 12 is yours. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Faith says, God, you know what? I got hurt. Somebody hurt me, I'm trusting that you will repay, whether that's through the authorities that God has given us or whether that be in eternity, God, you're the one that's going to repay. Nothing goes without your notice. That's faith. Again, over and over and over again, if you're fearful, Hebrews 13, I will never leave you or forsake you. We can say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Or even just going down to how you actually come to Christ. You're watching the day from who knows where. Like, you know what, I don't even know if I know that, I don't know if I know that kind of God, not that personal God that actually I can put my hand in, close my eyes and trust him. You can know him. Listen, you can know him. You can know him this morning. You can. This morning, you can actually apply what we're saying. I'm actively going to put my yes on the table. I'm actually going to say yes to God while I'm holding on simultaneously to his promises. I mean, the promises about God saving you are immeasurable in the Bible. Jesus steps out and very first part of his ministry, when himself, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, takes away, removes your sin. I believe that when he said it is finished, when he said it is finished, somehow, some way, that counted for me. When the Bible says, if I'm in Christ, my condemnation is gone, that counted for me. When the Bible says, all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved, that can count for me. And, um, uh, you just put your yes on the table. And so once you where you are, whether you're Christian or you want to become one, just bow your heads where you are. And uh, if you're not a believer, your head's bowed and your eyes closed right there, just say, God, I want to be a believer. I'm putting my yes on the table. All that I am, all that I've done, I want to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. And I believe that what you did on the cross somehow counted for me. I believe that you forgive sin, that you give fresh starts, that you give new life, that you give a new heart. And so right now, I'm calling on the name of the Lord to save me, to save me. Help me live the rest of my life for the glory of God and the good of other people. Others of you are like, Father, I'm a believer. 
And there's certain areas that my yes has not been on the table. It might be family, it might be ministry, it might be money, it might be morals, it might be whatever. So God, my yes is on the table. My yes is on the table. Now ask the question. Now give me the direction. But my yes is already on the table before I even know what you have to say. And we'll pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.